scripture reading this morning, we turn to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 34. The message this morning is titled, Our Greatest Need. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, And fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This ends the reading of our text this morning. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word in which you healed the the woman. And just give us all healing from all our diseases and all of our things we have too, we pray. And just ask your blessing on Mr. Bessett as he brings this word to us that he may do that in spirit and in truth. And just guide him by your spirit, we pray. And ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> Not long after World War II, there was a man who was walking down the street in his hometown. And as he was walking down the street, he passed a sewing shop. And he noticed that there was a sign hanging on the door of the sewing shop that read, We mend everything but broken hearts. Interested, the man walked inside. He sat down, and he waited for about five minutes. And as he waited, he looked around, and he noticed that there was a Star of David hanging on the wall. So this is just shortly after World War II. We had the Jewish Holocaust, and he sees that the owner of this sewing shop is Jewish. So after a couple minutes went by, the lady who owned the store walked up to him, and she said, can I help you? The man said that he noticed the sign outside, and he asked, what do you do with the people who come in here who are brokenhearted? She said that they're sent away to the hospital and that they're never seen again. The man replied, I noticed you're Jewish. Have you read Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant? Or in Isaiah 61 where it says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The lady replied, no, I haven't read the Tanakh since I've been a child. The man replied, the man who said he will bind up the brokenhearted was Jesus the Messiah. And this Jesus also says, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So this morning we're in the context, we're going to be connecting Jesus with the brokenhearted. This lady had been suffering from bad health, 
a broken heart, and she was desperate for a cure. She had a continual discharge of blood, physically suffering. <coughs> Excuse me. As we see in the text, she was financially broke, and it was only growing worse. So Mark, the author here, creates a strong mental image of the woman's condition before he gets into the details of the text. We see in the text this woman having a continual issue, a continual discharge of blood, most likely due to a menstrual hemorrhage. So now it's interesting because if we take a look at the book of Leviticus for this type of a scenario, anybody who comes into contact with this lady will be banished from the community until purification. This meant that the people would purposely avoid her in fear of coming into contact with her. So now if we think about this for a second, how she has been treated for the past 12 years, <clears throat> what she has been going through, not only just the physical suffering, but also social and religious rejection. Her quest to find a cure was motivated not only by a physical problem, but also social. Nobody wanted anything to do with her. She was avoided by everybody on purpose, and the only hope that she had left was to find some cure, and that hope was growing dimmer by the minute. She's broken. She's tired. She's out of money. She's almost out of hope. Up until this point, everything that she has tried has only made things worse. So what we see here in the text this morning, verses 25 and 26, the limitation of human wisdom. Verse 25, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better but only grew worse. So it's interesting here to take a look here for a second. The world's remedies, the world's cures, the, world, the way the world tries to fix physical problems. One of the most frustrating things is to come down with a diagnosis that you're sick. But what's even more frustrating than that is not being able to identify your illness. You can't plan for something or prepare for something or find a cure for something that you don't even know what is wrong with you. The woman had spent everything she had looking for a cure only to come up empty. Her savings account has hit zero, and she is no better off. Now, first of all, I don't mean to be critical of modern medicine. We should be thankful for the Lord's blessings in this field. But the reality of modern medicine is it's only a temporary fix. It has its limits. None of us live forever. In the case of the physicians of this time, they weren't able to diagnose her. They weren't able to heal her. And sadly also what we see is many false physicians even used this as an opportunity to con her out of her money. So she's at the point where there is nowhere left to turn. So not only does the world try to answer our physical problems, but how also does the world try to answer our spiritual problems? Interesting, what the world does, and a lot of times we don't even catch this, we don't even realize what they're doing. The world starts with the premise that they deny Jesus as Lord. They deny the existence of God in our affairs, and they deny the true nature of sin. It starts from the basis that man is naturally good, 
and that all he needs is just a little bit of self-improvement in the areas that he's lacking. It substitutes activities, hobbies, literature, religion, in the place of Christ for the purpose of finding relief from the consequences of sin and not a cure for the sin. It provides a way to dull the pain of sin's consequences rather than acknowledging and confronting the sin itself. Sadly now, what we're seeing are these worldly influences now starting to enter into the church. We see this in several different remedies today. First of all, the remedy of works. The answer to our problems, according to this group, is that the answer lies within ourselves. We see Christian fads, we see Christian trends, books come and go that tell us to go on this diet or pray this prayer or think like this. Think these thoughts, say these words, just try Jesus for a while. See if your life gets any better. The ball is in your court. You decide. You control your own destiny. We see the remedy of self-esteem. You are not what you want to be because you do not think you are what you want to be. See, the problem only rests in our mind. The solution rests in the power of our thoughts. You do not love enough. You do not take enough me time. It's all about me. The remedy of self-esteem believes that there is nothing more valuable than how much you love yourself. The more you love yourself, the better you will succeed. And the reason why you struggle is because you do not love yourself enough. The real truth lies within you. You just have to be able to find it and access it out of more self-love. We also see the remedy of prosperity. The reason you are poor, the reason you are sick, the reason you are suffer is because you do not have enough faith. You do not believe enough in Christ. That's the problem. Not only does this hinder your salvation because of your lack of faith, but it is also the reason why you are poor. It is also the reason why you are sick, and it is also the reason why you're not successful. Your lack of faith is why you're depressed. The lack of faith is why you struggle to advance at work. In order to get, you must first give. And generally, when they say this, it's talking about your wallets, your purses, your money. You do not give enough. Prayer, according to this group, is a tool to access your faith. It makes God grant your desires. So you get God to work for you. But in order to get God to work for you, you have to believe more in God. In order to believe more in God, you have to give. And there, the cycle continues. Now on the surface, many people feel that this sounds biblical. But after a closer analysis, what it ends up doing is it turns the gospel upside down. Why is this? Well, rather than having Christ alone save a sinner, the sinner turn around, turns around and attempts to save himself with a little bit of Christ's help. And lastly, the remedy of preparation. The way to be saved is to prepare yourself for Christ. If you prepare yourself to be fit for Christ, you will attain spiritual peace. But first, you must feel deeply wounded. If you are not continuing to feel deep sorrow for your sin, it may be because God has not chosen you for salvation. 
You must first experience terrors of consciousness. You must first feel the deep need for Christ. And the only true way to know God is calling you to salvation is to continually feel this deep sorrow for a long period of time. Otherwise, God may not be dealing with you. So we see here a lack of assurance. So what's going on here, the true source of all of these problems is sin and sin's consequences. The Bible says we're born enslaved to sin, spiritually dead. We are incapable of saving ourselves. So what this does, this eliminates any remedy that the world can create to try to fix the consequences of sin. This eliminates any type of self-help that the world creates to try to fix the problems of sin. Our sin can only, our sin can be very difficult to pin down, especially if we're not born again, especially if we do not have the Holy Spirit. We don't understand really what's going on with us. This is why the world creates all of these isms in attempt to cure the problem that sin brings about. It's fighting a problem it cannot clearly understand. The bottom line is we cannot save ourselves. So we ask, what's the answer? And the answer is pretty clear. Christ alone. Christ has the remedy for both our spiritual and our physical problems. Physical death. How does, how does Jesus cure that? Through resurrection. Spiritual death. How does Jesus cure spiritual death? From being born again. So the question is, how do we apply this remedy that Christ has to offer? And the answer is through faith alone. Look at verses 27 through 29. She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now notice the drive and the passion of this woman. We often wonder why the Lord allows us to go through such long, difficult trials from periods in time in our life. In the end, what we see is the trials that last the longest, and for this woman it was for 12 years, the trials that last the longest bring about our greatest joys. They reveal spiritual truths that we may not have been paying attention to. We tend to remember the blessings that come from the trials that were the hardest to endure. The Lord uses these trials like she was experiencing in a special way that motivates us to make significant lifestyle changes according to biblical principles. Notice what she doesn't do here. First, she does not allow her illness to defeat her, nor does she allow it to define her. She continually is pressing on for a cure. Number two, she does not make the excuse that she was born this way or this just suddenly happened to her and that she's a victim of her circumstances. Therefore, everything's just fine. I'm just going to have to just deal with what comes my way. She doesn't play the victim card. And number three, she does not turn inward and try to find a solution out of her own strength. She may have been doing this and doing this, but what's ended up happening is over this, the duration of this trial, she's realized that she's come up empty. She does not have the answer within herself. The community around her does not have the answer either. What she does, she places everything that she has left in the saving faith that touching Christ will set her free. What was required of the woman before she came to Christ? What were the prerequisites? 
Did she have to be able to recite the Ten Commandments? Did she have to have the Mosaic Law memorized? Were there any prerequisites that she needed to take care of first? The answer is no. Rather, her faith was a practical faith. She did three things, we notice from the text. The first thing she did is what she heard. The second thing she did is she came. And the third thing she did was she touched. That's it. She heard, she came, she touched. Her faith was more practically understood than theologically understood. Her understanding of Jesus was similar to that of the Old Testament tabernacle. I just want to read this verse. It's pretty interesting. Exodus 29, 37. It says, seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be made most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. So we see here a practical faith. There were no prerequisites for her to come. It was just between her and the Lord. So the question is, do we minimize the intellectual, the doctrine, the theology? And the answer is no. These are aspects that we have to be continually pursuing. But there comes a point in the time in our lives where it has to become practical. It has to become real. The rubber has to meet the road. The call to faith can happen to anybody at any time. There is no preparation. There are no prerequisites. There are no remedies that we can substitute for this. All it took for the woman to come to Christ to be healed was she heard the message. She came forth and she touched him. The same is true for anybody sitting here this morning who is hearing the gospel call for the first time or maybe have been struggling with this during their lives. It's a simple process. Nothing technical about it. Hear, come, and touch. Now the aspect of saving faith, it's an applied knowledge. If we take a look at it as an example for medicine, medicine is best used when it is applied, not when it's sitting on the shelf, but when we actually take it. Now in verse 28, for she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be made whole. Saving faith is done internally, having an external element that follows. After trying everything possible under the sun, failing over and over again, disappointment after disappointment, one self-help remedy after another, she has come to a true knowledge of healing. The question we have for people here this morning, us as Christians, looking back maybe before you were Christian, how many things did we try in life? How many remedies did we pursue before we came to Christ? Now that we are saved, how many of the world's remedies do we still seek after, thinking that Christ is not enough? If we think about it, we still kind of do this from time to time. Something may not be working. We may be praying. Our answers, may, our answers to our prayer may have not come like we've expected. So we kind of set the Bible aside and we pursue other angles. Maybe, maybe God's not listening. And that's not what's being taught here. For us who attend church regularly, how many of us have, how many of us have gone to church our whole lives and never actually touched him? How many of us have been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and still not believed? Maybe we've just gone through the motions. How many of us, out of self-sufficient pride, think that we really don't need to repent of our sins, that we led a good enough life and that we can enter into heaven on our own merits? The joy that comes through trials, like the woman's experienced here, 
It does. It does this one thing for sure. It breaks down our walls of pride. And it exposes us for who we really are outside of Christ. Now notice here, there is a great multitude walking around Jesus at this time. The crowd is pressing in. They needed Jesus just as much as this woman did. Now what's the difference between the woman and the rest of this crowd? Why was it the woman was pursuing Jesus, but the rest of the crowd was just on their way, on their own business? What's the difference? Through her 12 years of suffering, the Lord was preparing her heart to make her aware of her need. Through rejection, through humiliation, through isolation, through hopelessness. You don't see anybody else in the crowd going after Jesus. They thought they were just fine. So the Lord uses her pain, her suffering, suffering, humiliation, to open her eyes to the reality of her need. All the other didn't, people didn't seem to care or notice. They just carried on as business as usual. So we see the difference why it was her pursuing Christ and nobody else at this time. Also notice, when we touch Christ, <clears throat> as she did, <clears throat> out of faith, he recognizes it. Look at verse 30. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and you say, Who touched me? <clears throat> and he looked around to see who had done it. Every encounter with Christ is always personal. It gets his attention. Like the woman here in the account, he can pick you out of a crowd. He's not simply content with just performing a miracle or giving you a blessing. He wants to encounter you on a personal level. Also, <clears throat> it's interesting to note, God is not interested in just simply blessing us with our wants and our desires. Our personal happiness is not his greatest concern. Her list of, 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 of physical problems and spiritual problems was endless. It's not as if Jesus took that list and started fulfilling each one of those. He went straight to the greatest need. He uses the trials of our difficult times to expose us of our sin, of our depravity, of our hopelessness, in order for us to realize the need to repent and be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, what is our greatest need? Look at verses 33 through 34. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, it's interesting the woman here violated two ordinances that we find in the Torah. The first was she was in public with her illness, and the second was that she touched someone. Now notice this did not cause Jesus to react out of anger. According to the Lytical Law, by touching Jesus without permission, she has made him ritually unclean. If that's the case, Jesus nor the author of this account, Mark, even mention that. There's something deeper going on here. John 6, 37 says, And he that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Well, who is the person that comes to Christ? A sinner. 
conceived in sin, almost an infinite amount of personal sins committed against God, somebody who is unpure, somebody who is unclean. But yet he who comes to me, Jesus says, I will no wise cast out. We reached out with our sinful hands and touched the holiness of God, and as a result, we receive the righteousness of Christ. We become healed. In exchange, Jesus takes away all of our sins, past, present, and future, upon himself. That's the exchange. We receive Christ's righteousness. He takes upon himself our sin at the moment that we believe in faith. Notice verse 34. After this transaction took place, what did he refer to her as? What did he call her? Daughter. This is much more than just a physical healing. This is much more than just a miracle. By touching Christ out of faith, she is now adopted into the family of God. So what we see here is Jesus is interested in knowing the entirety of a person, not just meeting our physical wants and our physical desires. He wants the whole thing, whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now think of how significant her life had just now changed. From being delivered from hopelessness to being exalted to glory, from being an outcast of society to now being a child of God, from being avoided by all to being personally known by the creator of the universe. Think of her long lists of wants, desires that the woman had. What was her greatest need? Was it to be physically healed? And the answer is no. She had been dealing with this for 12 years already, and she was still alive. To be socially accepted, the answer is no. Again, she's been dealing with this for a long time. Now, it's been very painful. It's been very uncomfortable. But that was not her greatest need. How about to be given a cure? The answer is no, because even if she was cured, she still faces death. Her greatest need was Christ. Not just to be physically healed, but to be spiritually reborn. If we live each day of our lives with the mentality that we need to have our personal desires, our personal goals met, if we live that day, and if that's what we're pursuing, day in, day out, is the superficial level of life, we will never be happy. If we come to church for the purpose of feeling better for ourselves, that we did a good work, or that we did a good deed, or that we pleased God, we have completely missed the point. If we look to anything outside of Christ for our identity, if we look for self-esteem, or reputation, or success, we will always be lost. We will never be satisfied. It is through the difficult trials that this woman experienced here in this account where God breaks us of our selfish pride. He breaks us of our selfishness. And what he does is he causes us to really realize that true happiness and true contentment comes by emptying ourselves of our pride, reaching out to God with all our heart, with all our mind, soul, and strength. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such an example in your word that clearly reveals the reality of the human situation. Lord, that outside of you we are lost. 
no matter where we turn, Lord, outside of you, we don't find the answer. We continually search. We continually thirst. Lord, just to pray this morning, just to do an analysis of our heart, Lord, and to search us. Lord, when we come before you in prayer, or when we're living our daily lives, are we taking our desires and our wants and placing them ahead of you? Are we pursuing our own selfish ambitions and interests rather than pursuing you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? And Lord, for anyone here this morning who may be hearing the gospel for the first time or may have been struggling, Lord, to coming to faith, to realize, Lord, the practical aspect of this, Lord, just hearing, coming, touching, very simple. Pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, just to work on the hearts of those who are, have not yet believed, working on their hearts, Lord, to realize the, reala- the realization of their sinful condition. And Lord, for us who have believed, that our hearts do not wander, that we do not go left, right, backwards, forwards when we're pursuing something, Lord, that may not be of your will. We pray for spiritual contentness, Lord, knowing that outside of you we don't have an identity, Lord. Outside of you we will never find true happiness, Lord. And thank you for giving us the saving grace to be in this relationship. Lord, thank you for taking our sins upon you and in exchange giving us your righteousness. Lord, let us honor you this week as we go about in all our thoughts, words, and actions. Asking, Lord, all of this in your son's name. Amen.